Hello, and welcome to the Revelation Podcast. This is episode number 14, and in this episode, we are continuing in our series, Jesus in Exodus. And tonight will be part four. And in this part, we will look at chapter five of Exodus. And I like to call this chapter, The Flesh against Jesus and how Moses responded. In Exodus chapter 5, we will look at Pharaoh's attitude towards God and we will look at how Moses responded. And to begin, I like to begin in the book of Acts. Acts chapter... 16. Well, it's the passage in Acts where Paul planted a church in Philippi. And when he got there, him, Timothy, and Luke went down by the river to pray. There they met Lydia, who was a Gentile. She was seeking God at the time. And by the ordination of the Holy Spirit, Lydia met Paul, and Paul led her to the Lord. And earlier on, I said Acts chapter 16, and I was right, Acts chapter 16. And after Paul led Lydia to the Lord. In verse 16 beginning. Luke writes. Now it happened as we. Well with the word we. We know that Luke was with Paul, Silas and Timothy. We went to prayer. That a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divine nation met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling and see in the book of Exodus you, we are going to see sorcery in there as well and in Acts chapter 16 we see the flesh the girl with the spirit of divine nation Versus Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. Those men are born of the Spirit. And Satan has a way to try to disrupt our spirit. He knows that they like to go and pray. So Satan sends his instrument with this slave girl. And it annoys Paul. Greatly, In verse 18, we see Paul said to the Spirit. Now notice it said Paul said to the Spirit. Paul rebuked beyond the flesh and to her evil spirit. And he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. As soon as Paul rebuked the evil spirit, it came out of her. And you would think that that was it and there was nothing else. Well, Satan continues to work with the flesh and he uses it to attack Paul. He uses her masters. In verse 19, we see that they lost their hope when they saw their prophet no more. And they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they have false allegations against them. And you see that what Satan does. He lies. He gets people to lie for him. Just like he got the Pharisees to lie for them about Jesus. 
Well, these masters brought Paul and Silas, and they said, these guys were teaching customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans. And in verse 22, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Have received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. <laughs> when he thought that things could not just get worse, it did. And if anybody tells you that being a Christian is going to be easy, well, let me tell you that person is going, that person is lying to you. And it's fair to say that person is not of Christ because that's not what Christ preaches in his word. Christ tells us that if we were to follow him, we have to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Now, Christ did not mean literally to pick up our cross and follow him, even though there have been Christians that have been crucified, such as Peter and other Christians. There are Christians throughout the world that still do get crucified. We have not just heard about it yet. Well, Christ, (coughs) when he told his followers to deny themselves, and pick up their cross. He was referring to the struggle. Be willing to carry the struggle. Be willing to endure the struggle. In James chapter 1 verse 12 it says, Blessed are those who endure trials. For when they are approved, they will receive a crown of righteousness from Jesus. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4 Paul tells Timothy that I have fought the good fight. I am ready to receive my crown of righteousness. And in Acts chapter 16, we see Paul and Silas start to build the church in Europe. They started with Lydia. And there's no synagogue in that town which explains why they went down to the river to pray. And Satan tried to disrupt their spiritual life, and he used the fortune teller and her masters, and her masters put false allegations against Paul and Silas. So they are in prison. Talk about injustice. Yeah, I love this story. I love it because it shows on how we are to deal with our struggles. And Paul and Silas did not get on the phone and call the lawyer and get the media and say that we've been dealt, been dealt with injustice. No. We see what Paul and Silas does in verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosened. I like that. You know, Paul and Silas, so Filled with the Holy Spirit, they started praying. In First Thessalonians chapter five, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing and always be thankful for that is the will of God. And before he said those things, he says, "Rejoice always." You see, Paul was not some sort of Hallmark employee where he sat behind a cubicle and just wrote whatever good thoughts came along. (laughs) The things that he wrote in his letter about enduring persecution, 
he lived it. And we see that in verse 25, where Paul is praying. I mean, that's the weapon here against the flesh. It's praying. Paul prayed. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul tells the church in Ephesus to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit in the way that a drunk is filled with alcohol. And after that, he tells them on how they can be filled with the Spirit. He tells them they can be filled with the Spirit by singing thanksgivings and hymns that come from their heart. And he tells them to always be thankful and to submit to one another. Now, we had not seen Paul submit himself yet, but we will in the following verse 27. The prisoner awakened from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he asked a question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You see, Paul had such discernment that he realized that he was in that prison so that he could leave that guard to the Lord. And when Paul got to Philippi, he led him and Lydia. With the power of prayer, Paul turned Europe upside down by planting a church. And he did that with the power of prayer. God introduced Lydia and the jailer to Jesus. They received Jesus and they were delivered from their sins. And they worshipped Jesus as Paul worshipped Jesus in prison. Now before I jump into Exodus chapter 5, I am being led to take you guys to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. This is one of the prison epistles that Paul wrote. Ephesians, I mean, Ephesus is one of the places that Paul planted a church. And Paul writes to the Ephesians. Now, before Paul returned to Jerusalem, he stopped at Ephesus. And he warned them about the wolves that will be coming. In Ephesians chapter 6, he tells them that we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but we fight against the darkness of this age. We Christians are in spiritual warfare. Then from verses 13 through 17, he tells them to put on the armor of God. He tells them in verse thirteen, verse 14 to put on the girdle of truth and the blessed plate of righteousness. In verse 15, he tells them to put on the gospel of peace for your feet. And in verse 16, he tells them to take up the shield of faith to deflect the darts that comes from Satan. And then in verse 17, he tells them to put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Paul uses armor to give Christians a visualization on what they need in their spiritual life. They need the Word of God. They need their salvation. They need their faith. They need peace. And they need truth. And in verse 18, Sometimes does not get read and it gets overlooked. In verse 18, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance 
and supplication for all the saints. When Paul talks about prayer, he also talks about perseverance. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. So when we pray without ceasing, we are praying in the spirit. We are praying in the tongues. Now, when we pray in the tongues, it's not fruitful for me to understand. It's a mystery to what my spirit is praying with the Holy Spirit. And that is okay. Knowing that my spirit is praying with the Holy Spirit and praying with Jesus, that's all I need to know. Now, if I need to know what my spirit is praying, then God will let me know. And at the same time, I could pray with understanding. And then Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, prayer is our weapon in spiritual warfare. Before the 120 followers received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they were praying. And they were preparing themselves for spiritual warfare. Make no mistake about it. When Christians engage in the Great Commission, they are marked by Satan. They are the ones that Satan goes after. And so we need prayer. While Jesus was on earth, he was God and man. And he prayed constantly. He prayed early in the morning. Because he knew that his spirit needed it. He knew that he needed a strong spirit. Prayer is what strengthens our spirit. Now that I filled you guys with the importance of prayer, keep that in mind as we take a look at spiritual warfare in Exodus chapter 5. Now, that's a great way on how to look at Exodus chapter 5. It is spiritual warfare. Make no mistake about it. You know, as Christians, we need to walk in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. People that walk in the flesh don't have the spirit like Pharaoh. Now, before I jump into Exodus chapter 5, I want to hit the rewind a little bit. And I want to go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. And after that, I'll fast forward to Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. I want us to go back to these places because I want us to look and see what Jesus said about what will happen when Moses goes to the Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 3 verses 19 through 20 ESV. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will go. You see, Jesus, while he was giving Moses the great commission 
tells him what's going to happen. He tells him that the Pharaoh will not let you go right away. And so I am going to do my wonders in front of him and I will strike Egypt and after that he will let you go. And in Exodus chapter 4 verses 21 through 23 also ESV. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you should say to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. In this, Jesus tells Moses that he is going to warn Pharaoh. And yet, at the same time, Pharaoh's heart will get hardened. Now, from these two previous passages, we see that God is a merciful God, and He's very patient. You know, people that don't believe in God will use this against His will. They will say, if God is so loving, then why does He send people to hell? Why doesn't He give them a chance? When people ask those questions, we should know that they most likely have never read the Bible. And even if they did read the Bible, they will not understand it. Because the Word of God is a spiritual book. And only people that can understand it are people that have been born again by the Spirit. And so, we can easily see that God gives people chances. He gave people chances before the flood. He gave them 120 years. And Paul gives Pharaoh chances. He gives Pharaoh a chance to let his people go. And Pharaoh's heart will just get harder and harder until the point he ruins Egypt and he loses his son's life because of his hardened heart. Alright. Now, let's jump into Exodus chapter 5. And what we're going to see first is we're going to see Pharaoh's attitude towards God. And we will ask the question of, why natural man does not know him. And next is, is chapter 5, verse 2. But Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh said this after Moses and Aaron went to him and told him what the Lord said of letting his people go so they could worship him into the wilderness. And in verse 2, we see three things about his attitude towards God. Number one is, he says it himself. I do not know the Lord. So he doesn't know God. Number two is that he does not recognize his authority. I mean, the first thing that Pharaoh said was actually a question. He asked the question, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And then number three, when he says, I will not let Israel go, that tells us he does not obey him. 
When people live their life in the flesh, they are like Pharaoh. Now, they may not be in a position like him, but they're no different. They don't know God. They don't recognize his authority. So, they don't obey him. Now, off that, I want to answer the question of why natural man does not know him. And the scripture area that I wanted to see, so we began to see why natural man does not know him, is I want us to go into Romans chapter 1, and I will go through verses 20 through 30. And we will see why natural man does not know him. So, beginning at... Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and things that have been made so they are without excuse. God reveals himself to all in a general way one of the ways is through his creation when people look outside to see the trees birds sky and sun they may start to perceive that there could have been a god because they see creation and with high intelligence they will realize that those things there could not make themselves. There had to be a creator. So God's creation gives us no excuse on why we don't know him. All right, continue onward. For although they knew God, you see, they knew God through his creation, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, before the flood, people knew God, and they knew that a judgment was coming. However, they didn't care. They would just rather live their lives in the flesh and do all acts of sin instead of repenting towards God. And they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You know, after the flood, it was not too long to where men started worshiping idols instead of God. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about a God for a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, and listen to this, Paul will explain why the natural man cannot come to God. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So God just allowed them to go on through their lustful ways. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves to do penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, see, there you go. They did not see fit to acknowledge God. They, they ignore God. Their conscience were seared. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They are filled all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, 
malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So, man did know that God existed. And they knew that he was a righteous God. However, they didn't care because they were going to live their life however they wanted to live. So God just allowed them to go. Now God let them go to the lust of their flesh and pride. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, Paul tells the church in court, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So, natural man cannot confess that Jesus is Lord unless he has the Holy Spirit. Only by the Holy Spirit can we say that Jesus is Lord to know him and his authority. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. So, we have at least three reasons why that the natural man does not know God. Number one, God gave them up to their lust. Number two, they don't have the Holy Spirit to testify that Jesus is Lord. And number three, the word of God is for spiritual people. So the natural man will not understand him. Now, even though Pharaoh was royalty, he was a slave to the flesh. He was no different than a lot of celebrities and powerful people of today. I mean, I pity these people. I mean, I feel so sorry for them, you know. They have all this money and fame. And at the same time, they are miserable creatures. Like their ancestors, they rejected God in his ways and what can they expect a great life I mean they're fooled by Satan and they don't even know what a great life is and I pray to God that a lot of them don't have their conscience seared as a Pharaoh did because like Pharaoh with a sheared conscience they will end up in hell and it's not because God sent them there. It's because they chose to go there by disobeying God. They are a slave to the flesh, just like Pharaoh is a slave to the flesh. And we see that in verses 5 through 9 in Exodus chapter 5. In verses 5 through 9. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people land now are many and ye make them rest from their burden and the Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people and the officers saying ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick as here to afford let them go and gather straw for themselves and the tale of the bricks which they did make hair forth, ye shall lay upon them, ye shall not diminish at thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let them more work be laid upon the men, that they may labor therein, and let them not regard vain 
words. So we see from verses 5 through 9. He oppresses God's people more like the Antichrist will towards God's people in the tribulation. And then Jesus says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. But the one who endures the end will be saved. And this passage right here comes from Matthew chapter 24. He talks about the great tribulation. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those who believe in Christ, those days will be cut short. When Jesus says that, he refers to the rapture. So we know from Matthew chapter 24 that the rapture will happen after the great tribulation. It won't be before it, but after it. I mean, it's right here in his words. And so right now, the Pharaoh in the role of the Antichrist is oppressing God's people. And the Antichrist will come and he will oppress us. And like in Exodus, Jesus, who delivered his people out of bondage, Jesus also will deliver his people so that the fair, so that Antichrist cannot eliminate Christians completely. Now, we see the works of the flesh continue in Pharaoh's life. Verses 9 through 14, we see the works of flesh produces hatred and violence. Exodus chapter 5, verse 14. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set them over, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your tasks of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? In 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, John says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brother. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. The works of the flesh are the exact opposite of the works of the spirit. The works of the flesh produces hatred, it produces violence, and it produces murder. And Jesus is very clear through John, and he says that those who hate and those that murder will not have eternal life. Whoever does not love abides in death. So as followers in Christ, we should love others and not hate them. Now, in James' letter, there were Christians that were oppressing others by not giving fair wages. And James talks about this. James chapter 5, verses 4 through 6. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mow your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous persons. He does not resist you. So we see the works of flesh even in believers. And James pointed that out because he wanted them to repent from what they were doing. You see, if we are born again of the Spirit, we should do things out of love and not out of hate 
And Jesus is very clear. And he says, if you hate someone in your heart, that makes you a murderer. That means that you're no different than the crooked Christians in James. And you're no different than the pharaohs that oppressed God's people. Now understand, I'm not talking about minimum wage. I'm not talking about anything political or anything like that. But if you are a Christian owner and if you says, hey, I'm going to pay you this amount of money and that person agrees to work with you and you don't pay them with what you agreed upon, then that is not right. And you got to see why. I mean, are you intentionally doing it? I mean, if you are intentionally doing it, then it's not right. And you need to repent to God and you need to tell that person sorry and you need to give that person three or four times the amount that you said you're going to owe them. There's no excuse for that. Now, going back to Pharaoh, in verses 5 through 19, the Pharaoh disobeyed God because he was an antichrist and he was a scoffer. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, says this, By this you know the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesses, only by the Holy Spirit, confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. But whoever confesses that Jesus is not from God is an antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. You see, even in John, when he wrote this letter around toward 80, 90, the world ruler was Domitian, and he was the one of the most strongest persecutors against Christians. He was an antichrist. And we see Pharaoh as an antichrist in Exodus. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 36, and Daniel is talking about Antias Epiphanes. He was the persecutor during the intertestament period. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself, which is what the Pharaoh does, and magnifies him above every god. The Pharaoh was a godlike figure to Egypt. And he shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. And we see that in verse 2, where he denies God, he denies his authority. And he does he acknowledged as if he doesn't exist. And in Jude chapter one verse four, Jude talks about for certain people have crept in unnoticed, false prophets, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sexuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. This is what scoffers does. And scoffers are people that mock God. And Pharaoh is mocking God. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, Peter talks about the last days. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. You see, all the things that Pharaoh is doing towards God is that he is following his sinful desires. He is living his life in the flesh. He is not spiritual, so that is why he does not know God. And even if he did know God, I mean, he still would disobey him. And that's what you're going to see throughout the ten plagues and why they kept coming. They kept coming because Pharaoh's heart kept getting harder. Now, what's Moses' response to Pharaoh? Well, let's look at verses 20 through 23. And they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came from Pharaoh. And they referred to the Israelites. They said unto them, The Lord look, look upon you and judge, because you have made our savour to be whored in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. Verse 
And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he has done evil. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. You know, earlier on I mentioned how Christians will not be raptured until after the Great Tribulation. And so we see Paul earlier on. He was in a tribulation. And you could read John Fox's Book of Mars, and you could see Christians who have faced tribulation. And there are many Christians today that do face tribulation. So, remember I said that being a Christian is not easy, and that when Christ says, if anyone wants to follow me, they have to deny themselves and pick up their cross. He meant it. So God allows us to be in tribulation. And this is what James says about that. Verses 2 through 4 of chapter 1. Count all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we face trials because God wants to produce patience in us. And we need that. And here's why. Verse 12 of James chapter 1. Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God disciplines his children. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 7. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And him is referred to Christ. We should look at Christ as our example. And having you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he received. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? So the tribulations that God allows us to face are so that we could develop patience and we could be disciplined. For us to be approved of our crown. And we see God doing the same thing through Pharaoh to his people, the Israelites. And later on, as we read the book of Exodus, we're going to see more why that God allowed his children to be disciplined in such hardship. Now, how did Moses endure and how do we? Well, I kind of already told you that in James chapter 1. He tells us to be patient. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand so we have to be patient be patient like the farmer who waits for his fruit to grow and we should be patient and know that the Lord is coming soon next thing how to endure have a good example to follow 
in James chapter 5, verse 10. As an example of suffering and patient, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example. And Jesus also held the office of prophet. And I read from Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We have Christ. He is the best example for us to follow, so we know how to endure suffering. He endured more than anybody else. He was tempted more than anybody else. And he still did not sin, and he was still obedient unto death, and he was perfect. Next thing that we can do or to endure. The next thing that we can endure our tribulation as Moses did. See is pray. We read in Acts chapter 16 that Paul and Silas, while they were shackled up, that they were worshiping God and they were praying God. And their prayers were so awesome that God shook the foundation and broke their chains off. And so we need to pray. And that's what Moses did. In Exodus chapter 5, verses 23 to 23, Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Now, from there, I'd like to give a little sample of Exodus chapter 6. I like Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. We see Jesus and how he responds. He says, I, all right, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. And remember from Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4 that Jesus said that the Pharaoh was not going to let them go and he was going to harden their heart and then he was going to let them go. We could trust the words of Christ. His words are 100% accurate. Whatever he says, he will do. Whatever happens, it will come to pass. Jesus says that we're going to face tribulations. It's going to happen. And Jesus says that those that endure at the end will be saved. That will happen. And we will receive our crown of righteousness when we endure. We endure with patience. We endure by following Christ's example. And we endure with prayer. And pray always with all prayer and supplication and endure to the very end. Take courage because Jesus has overcome and so can we. Amen.